all to Jesus I surrender. All to Him I freely give. Praise God. That's what Paul was talking about when he said, I beseech you. Romans 12, 1 and 2 should be the first fundamental foundational scripture when you are a new believer. When you are taking those first baby steps, this is where you begin to build on the right foundation of devotion to follow Jesus as a disciple. Amen. You don't bypass Romans 12, 1 and 2. I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God. Everybody say the cross. The cross. That's where that mercy was displayed openly, clearly. That's where God shouted, I love you to a lost and dying world through Christ, staying on that cross for you and for me. I beseech you, not just because it's a commandment to love him with all. See, God gave a command. He has that prerogative. He deserves that kind of devotion. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, mind, soul, strength, body, everything. That's an absolute, full-out devotion. And then he stimulates that love by loving us first. And showing us that love and demonstrating it through Christ, staying on the cross, taking our punishment. Fulfilling the scripture, we love him because he first loved us. Isn't that wonderful? He, he commands us to love and then he stimulates the love that he's commanded us to love him with. So we can keep the commandment, not out of religious responsibility, but out of true devotion and appreciation for Jesus on the cross. Every Holy Communion service is an opportunity for the first love to be rekindled in our heart because we're revisiting where the first love was kindled in the first place. And that's the cross and Jesus on the cross. And you know what the danger is? The danger is that the cross will become a given. Oh, yeah, Jesus went to the cross for me. I've known that for years. Uh, no, it's not just a given. It's a continual giving of God. Amen. And it's something that should keep the first love burning bright. And that's why Jesus said to a church that had all the rituals and routines down and all the traditions and all the right things. But he told them, I've got something against you. And it shocked them because they were, they were so into their faith. And they were being persecuted for it. And they stood up under the persecutions and stood true to their faith. But they didn't do it out of devotion to Christ. And he said, I have somewhat against you because you've left what? Your first love. Your first love. And it is intolerable to God that we would try to worship him without really loving him. That we would go through all those motions without truly being devoted to him. So Jesus said, I have somewhat against you because you've left your first love, the church at Ephesus, the first in the seven churches of Asia. You've left your first love. He said, remember from whence thou art fallen. In other words, it's a time to reflect on how it was when you first got saved and how you couldn't get enough of church because you were hungry for God. You, you couldn't get enough of the word of God. You couldn't get enough of Christian music. You just wanted to get lost in the Lord at every opportunity because you loved him. And love drew you to him and kept you close to him. And when we drift away, once the cross becomes a given, that love begins to wane. In fact, the Bible said in the last days, the love of many, the love of many, would wax cold. Isn't that amazing that there would be a dead religious system? There was when Jesus came. There will be when he comes again. The love of many, not just a few. That means there will be a continual practice of religion. There will be a semblance of godliness denying the power of godliness. The true devotion that is supposed to bring. So that we can demonstrate to a gainsaying world that Jesus is worth an all-out, full-blown commitment. Not just some kind of religious, ritualistic, 
And that's why churches today have to have some kind of great systems of entertainment. They have to entertain people because the cross doesn't draw people. There has to be a big musical presentation. There has to be fog. There has to be lights because we're competing with the world that is presenting every form of entertainment. So what do we do to compete? We don't pray for a Holy Ghost revival to capture hearts. We just turn on the fog machine. Well, you can't attract young people any other way. I beg your pardon. There is something more attractive than the big show. You know what it is? It's Jesus and his love, his passion, his sacrifice, his suffering for our sake. How dare we say that young people can't fall in love with God. They can only be entertained to get them out to church. Man came to my home and he, he worked the sound for a 300, 300 young people meeting. They came, 300 came to that particular Pentecostal uh, Foundation Church. And he said, I had to give it up. Because he was a devoted Christian. He was about 25 years old, had a family, and he worked the sound for the young people. He said, when it came time for the word of God, he said, as long as the music was loud and there was entertaining things and lights and things to captivate them, they were interested. But when someone walked to a microphone with the Bible, the word of God, that's when everybody got out their iPhones. Everybody got out their little, everybody talked to one another. The attentiveness wasn't there at all. And yet it was touted as, look how many young people we have. Look at all the young people we have. And he said, that would be great if they were followers of Jesus. That would be great if they had any devotion to God. That would be great if they had a reverence for the Word of God. That would be great if they could worship God, not just tap their foot to a catchy tune coming from the platform. That would be great if the cross, he said, captivated them, and not just the light show and the fog machine. And he said, I couldn't take it anymore. I couldn't take watching this being played out as a, a mighty move of God because look at all these bodies in the building. Look at all of these people seated. Do you know about churches that put on a great show and attract a lot of people? But when the door opens, it's not when the people come in. It's when they walk out the door, whether or not they're going to follow Jesus, whether they love him enough to follow him, whether they understand and appreciate what has happened at Calvary enough to dedicate their life and go against the flow because believe me, you have to go against the flow in this culture because if you go with it, it's going to pull you away from God. And church-going young people are going to backslide. And, and I used to preach a lot on that, rekindling, rekindling the first love. But now I'm obligated by what's happening to preach a little differently, and I don't like it. I have found out that some people could never rekindle the first love. You know why? Because they have never experienced that kind of devotion yet. They've had a far-off, distant relationship with Christ, grown up in a Christian home and never, ever been personally convicted or confronted by the presence of of the living Christ. How can we expect them to rekindle what has never, ever been kindled in the first place? There are preachers that don't know anything about the first love. I've met some of them. How do you know they don't know? Because they're not devoted. They're devoted to their ministry. They're devoted to propagating their ministry, but they're not devoted to Christ. They don't follow him. And so it's marking a generation. What shall be the sign of thy coming? When shall these things be? That's a good question, isn't it? Matthew chapter 24. What shall be the sign of your coming? When shall these things be? As he goes down the list, 
he says, many false prophets will go out into the land and deceive many. If we're not there, I don't know when we'll get there. I'm going to declare to you, we are there today. Amen. You need to get in the word of God. You don't follow personalities anymore. Amen. You can't do that any longer. Not in stay true to Christ and to truth today. You know what Jesus said? He said, when I come back to the earth, shall I find faith? And it's the word pistis and it's how it's used there. It doesn't mean believing God for bigger things and great things. It means being true to the faith that was once delivered to the saints. And we are told in Scripture to earnestly, listen, that was the first generation of Christians, we're told. The faith was under attack before the first generation of Christians passed. And so the letter in Jude was this. I suppose it's needful that I write unto you that you earnestly contend. Everybody say, put up a real fight. What if someone came in and threatened to harm your wife right in this room today? I can see it in your eyes. What kind of fight would you give them? Yeah, I don't even say the word. I, I know we, we sh probably shouldn't even think it and go there. Amen. What kind of fight would you give if somebody tried to hurt this little girl right here? What kind of fight would you put up, Cherie? Okay, we won't even. That's probably the understatement of the year. Amen. I'm, I'm so glad you got saved when you did. If I'd ask her that before she got saved. Amen. I'm going to tell you what kind of fight I would put up. I would put up a fight. Brother Venable, you're going on 72. I know, I know. But I got one fight left in me. I'm, I, th I honestly believe. I, I, I just feel it in my waters. I feel it in my bones. Can you say, man? I feel it. <laughs> I got a fight left in me. Brother Venable, how do, you, how do you know that? I just know that I know that I got a, a real, I got a fight left in me. And I'm saving it for something really, really important. Amen. If my wife was threatened, my son was threatened, I, would, I don't know if I'd use it for my dog or not. I'd have to think it over. But I got a fight left in me. Amen. But when it comes to the faith, regardless of my age and stage of life, I've got a fight left in me. And the scripture said we are to earnestly contend for the faith that was once delivered to the saints, that original, un, unchanged to try to fit it in to a culture that is God-hating and Christ-rejecting. The spirit of Antichrist doth already work. It began and it's accelerated for almost 21 centuries since. And it's at work today. It's not anti-religion. It's not anti-God as a generic form, but it is particularly, precisely anti-Christ. Why anti-Christ? Because there is no other name given under heaven unto men by which we must be saved, save the name of Jesus Christ. Isn't that being narrow-minded? You better believe it is, because there is one God, one mediator, between God and man, and it is Jesus Christ, and there's not room for any other man-made false god of man's made-up religion. Isn't that narrow-minded? Yes, it is. Why is it narrow-minded? Because broad is the way, wide is the gate that leads to destruction, and many there be that go in thereat. But narrow is the way, straight is the gate that leadeth to eternal life, and few there be that find it. If you think seeing a bunch of people sitting in a building called church, that everyone is saved sitting in those pews, you are sorely mistaken. Here's what Jesus said about all those people, not everyone in those pews, but so many of them that are not being confronted with what it really means to be saved. 
Many. See, that word keeps coming up. Many there be that go in there. Many will say to me in that day when we stand before him, Lord, Lord, we've done mighty works in your name. We've cast out devils in your name. Whether they did or not, only God truly knows. But one thing is for sure. They didn't know him. And therefore, he did not acknowledge them. But they sat somewhere in a church where they could mouth the words, Lord. They could mouth the words, Lord. You see, having him become your Savior and then decide at some point whether he's worth committing to is not biblical. I don't believe he can be your Savior without being your Lord. I believe if you reject him as Lord, you can never accept him as your Savior. Accepting him as Lord is not a work on your part. It's an attitude within your heart toward God. Amen? And that's why you'll never find Savior and Lord in Scripture in that order. The divine order is Lord and Savior. So they will say, Lord. And he, is, he will say, many will say that in that day. And I will say unto them, depart from me, you that work iniquity. I never knew you. It's not enough to claim Christ unless he claims you. And if it's an empty profession instead of a true spiritual possession, It's going to be a shock, isn't it, to a religious bunch of people that are lost. That's why in a meeting I attended with full gospel businessmen, a man's testimony was this. I remember it distinctly because an Air Force pilot during the Vietnam era was shot down and he was given his testimony. Colonel Bottomley was his name. His wife saw this very independent, self-willed, self-sufficient man who rejected uh, any need for God or the Bible. But when he was confronted with his mortality during the Vietnam era, he changed his mind about those things. And he accepted Jesus as his Savior. And he gave his testimony in a full gospel businessmen's meeting. And a pastor who was a graduate with high honors for, from a, a theological seminary, heard his testimony, heard this encounter he had with Jesus Christ and this devotion he made to follow him. And he came under conviction. He had decided he grew up in this formal, nominal Christian home. He went to a church that was very formal, and he never was confronted with his lost condition. He said, I never really was convicted of my sin until I sat in that meeting. You see, there is a tangible presence of God to convict of sin when the Holy Spirit comes. It's not just a religious routine or ritual you go through. No man comes to me because of religious rituals and routines and responsibilities, no man comes to me except my Father draw them. And when the Holy Spirit has come, he will first work in this fallen world is convince the world of sin. And that word convince in the Greek is the actual word convict. He is the one who convicts us. He shows us our lost condition. And then he shows us the salvation, the forgiveness that is freely offered us in Jesus Christ. Same work of the same Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. So they said, Lord, what shall be the sign of your coming? When shall these things be? And he said, many false prophets shall go out into the earth. 11 and 12 of Matthew 24. Many, there's that word again, many. That's a disconcerting word. When you're talking about millions of people and you use the word many, you're talking about thousands upon thousands of people that are going to hell. You don't hear that anymore. There's nowhere else to go. 
I have a sermon prepared, haven't preached it yet. God hasn't allowed it to come forth, but there, there are those within the city and there are those without the city. And it's representative of lost and saved. Blessed are they who keep his commandments that they might be worthy to pass through those gates. Straight is the gate, narrow the way. But they were they, and, and enter into the city and eat of the tree of life and drink from that river. This is not about works. His first commandment, his great commandment to a lost world is come to Christ so I can save you. Repent of your sins so I can seal you and keep you. Blessed are they that have a heart to obey instead of a rebel heart. Speaking of rebel hearts, there's a litmus test of faith and it's found in 1 John. He that committeth sin, live habitually in without being convicted. Committeth is in the continual sense. If you can sin without conviction, without confidence, without consequence, without fearing the consequence, if you can sin without any concern about God at all, the Bible said, and you do not repent of that sin, you are of the devil. It doesn't matter if you're sitting in a church pew. It doesn't matter if you're singing in a choir. It doesn't matter if you're preaching in a pulpit. Those are not salvation issues. That don't save you. None of that can save you. Some people know the choir member and the life they're living outside of church, and it turns them off. My son, before he really got saved, there was a family member that, that sang at an occasion, and he had stayed with that family member for a while. He had seen an absolute, full-out, sinful lifestyle. In fact, he had seen sins worse than his own, and he wasn't a Christian yet. And yet, it was real easy to play the role. And after that particular situation, he said, Dad, how could they stand up and sing about Jesus when they in no way follow him? I said, Son, because it's the last days. And when the love of many waxes cold, iniquity abounds, sinfulness abounds. And this is stuff in the church. This is not stuff in the world. The world has never loved him. They can't fall out of love with him. But there are people who did love him. That's why I believe it is possible to backslide as a Christian. The prodigal son had not have come home. The father couldn't have restored him. He had to decide. He had to turn around. That's repentance. When he said, I'm going back to my father's house, that is repentance. Can you say amen? And he came with contrition, didn't he? He said, I'm not worthy to be called my father's son, but if I could just be a servant and, and sleep out with the servants, it'd be better to be a servant in my father's house than to live out here and, 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 and have the repercussions and the consequences of sin uh, devastated me like it is. I'm going back to my father's house. I, he, he don't even have to accept me, but just let me be, live with the servants. But his father saw him coming afar off ran to him, fell upon him, kissed him. <laughs> Hallelujah. And then the restoration began, didn't it? But it started with the kiss of forgiveness. Hallelujah. Oh, I don't know how repentance got such a negative spin on it and got relegated to fire and brimstone preaching. Honey, I'm going to tell you, if you preach at all about where people go that don't know Jesus, you've got to use fire and brimstone because there's no other way to describe this place of banishment and torment. And today there are people that are trying to do away with the whole concept of hell. We want to hold tight to heaven, but we want to do away with hell. Well, you can't have one without the other. You can't have God without the devil. You can't have light without the darkness. So we live in a church where people don't fear the Lord. And people are not convicted of their sin. And a preacher who's been to theological seminary, 
graduated with high honors, pastored in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania for eight years, sprinkled believers, had communion services, invited people to Christ, became convicted in a full gospel businessmen's meeting. Why in that meeting? Because the Holy Spirit was active and moving. And when he comes, whether it's coming to the earth initially or coming in a room where Christ is being truly declared, he will convince the world of sin. He will convict the heart. And that's why some people don't go to a church where he shows up because they're immediately convicted. There's a young lady who keeps telling us how much she loves us and appreciates us. You know, she knows that we are real. Say she's young. She's actually getting older. Everybody I'm calling young may not be young according to Cherie. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> but, but she said, she said, Brother Venable said, I, 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 would, I, would, I, I know I don't come to your church very often uh, because every time I do, I, I'm convicted. And I thought, oh, goody, 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 goody. I am so glad you cannot sit in this congregation without being right with God and not feel the drawing of the Holy Spirit and not feel the dread of judgment to come. I don't have to preach judgment every service. Wherever he is moving, the anointing is manifest. If you're here without God, if someone comes in without God, they're going to be uncomfortable. Remember when God convicted you, it wasn't comfortable. No, it wasn't comfortable. I believe that you felt at some point, I'm lost and I need a Savior because he convicts us of our sin so he can bring us to our Savior. Thank God for the hound of heaven. And I say that with deep respect. Jesus is the Messiah and the Savior of the world, and the Holy Ghost is the one that's the hound of heaven. He hounded me. Thank God for it. I would push back, but he did not let up on me. Some of our children need to know Jesus as their Savior. They've been to church. They've been raised in church. It's not the same. When I went to Jamaica and I went as a missionary, the missionary wasn't with us on this particular trip. I went to go to the orphanage. I went on my own. And all the kids, about 120, 30 of them, they were out when... I arrived, they were out singing songs of praise to the Lord. They were just singing songs of praise to the Lord. That's where I learned Benisuela de Nail. Amen. Benisuela de Nail, praise ye the Lord in Creole. And they were singing, and the only thing I recognized in the praise song was Jesus. They were singing to the Lord. They were singing about Jesus, Jesus. And when they would come to Jesus, they, they stopped. And the music is really good. I want to tell you, there's some good music down in the islands. But it wasn't the beat. They stopped the music because the Holy Spirit came on them. These are kids, 12 and under. And they begin to worship God in spirit and in truth. Not just motivated by the music, but motivated, stimulated by their love and appreciation. Because all of these kids were bush babies. This wasn't a fancy orphanage with a lot of funds in, in one of the capital cities. This was out in the boonies, out in the bush. And starving children would be left at this mission home. And that's the mission home we began to support. And now we're supporting Bobby Burnett who has warehouses full of food. But back in that day, we were part of just a few churches giving what we could to help feed those kids. And they were so filled with appreciation for us, but even greater than that, filled with appreciation for Jesus. And when they, when they stopped singing, uh, the song and the beat all stopped, and they, they, they were worshiping, Yezu, oh Yezu. And you've seen kids 12, 11, 10, 9 years old, 
tears running down their cheeks of joy and love, worshiping Christ. And I thought, oh, Lord, oh, Lord, you, you mean young, see if young people don't meet him, if they never fall in love with him, church is not going to corral them in from a world that's going to say, try this. If you want to be accepted, go this way. If you want to have fun, you've got to try this. And the world is like never before. The media, the media. The, 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 is, there any, is there anybody that doesn't have a cell phone anymore? Is there anybody that don't have earbuds to stay hooked and connected to whatever music is chosen? I remember the YouTube viral video of a, a, a lady about 35 or 40 years old in a business suit with a, you know, one of those designer purses and she's walking in a mall and she's uh, up on that phone and she's got the earbuds in and she's walking along and there's a big fountain in the middle of the, uh, the mall and she's walking toward the fountain and so involved and so focused on whatever she was listening to that she tripped and fell face forward into the water. And I was mean. I said, that's good enough for her. If you're that focused on whatever it is, you're too focused. And what's even worse, tragic, happened about three years ago. It was in the news. A young man walking in the middle of a railroad track with his back to a train coming, earbuds in listening to whatever rock star volume turned up all the way, so lost in the music that he couldn't feel the vibration of the passenger train. He couldn't hear the sound of a train coming because it was blurted out. He couldn't hear the horn blowing because the engineer laid down on the horn and didn't let up hoping at some point he would step to one side and be saved. And the train ran over him. He never heard it coming. He never saw it coming. He was absolutely caught up in whatever he was listening to. This is not anti-cell phone, anti-music, but I'm going to tell you something about the devil's devices. Here's Jesus' warning as we get ready for communion this morning. Beware. This is to us as Christians. Beware. Lest your heart... Be overcharged with surfeiting, drunkenness, and the cares of this life. That that day come upon you as a thief. For as a snare, a trap that is suddenly uh, triggered, it shall come upon all the inhabitants of the world. So the devil doesn't want us to think about his coming and judgment to come, especially judgment to come. That's why John said, who hath warned you to flee what? The judgment to come. This is not just about joining a new movement in religion. This is knowing there is a way to stand before God and not be judged by God through the blood of Jesus. And the religious crowd didn't see that need to repent. He said, who warned you? Because if the Holy Spirit didn't warn you, all you're going to do is criticize me for preaching repentance. Right? That was his message. Repent. Make the crooked path straight. Prepare what? The way of the Lord. He's coming. We will answer to him. Are you ready? They said, no. He said, come on then. I'm baptizing you unto repentance. Jesus said, except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. His message was repentance. The message of repentance now is pushed aside. And now it's kind of like the carrot before the cart and before the donkey. We've got to have some incentives. To some people, it's a bigger house. To some people, it's a better car. To some people, it's a Rolex watch. It's something material. It's something in this world. We're not thinking about who's coming and what's coming and answering to him and standing before him. Paul said, I was with you in weakness. I was with you in fear. That 
deep reverence for God and much trembling. Amen. What made him tremble? You can see it in his further writings. He said, therefore, knowing the terror of the Lord, knowing how awful it's going to be beyond words to describe, to stand before God in our sin without a Savior, without the blood of Jesus, to have to answer to him for that, to hear him say, depart from me. I never knew you, religious people, because they're calling him Lord, assuming and presuming that they're ready to meet him. People are declaring people saved that have never been saved. And they're going to be standing on that day calling Jesus Lord. And listen to this carefully. Jesus said, no man calls, can call me Lord except by the Holy Ghost. If the Holy Ghost didn't convict, if the Holy Ghost didn't draw, if the Holy Ghost didn't come into the human heart and begin to make a change within that begins to work without Salvation has not occurred. It's called the regeneration of the Holy Spirit. If any man be in Christ, he's a good church member. He's a good moral person. No, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Everything has become new. There's a new value system. There's a new moral code. The world cannot invite that person to be accepted by the world to go the way of the world. Because we don't love the world anymore. We love Christ. Amen? Can any man love the world? The love of the Father is not in him. It's not about sitting in church, singing in a choir, even preaching in the pulpit. It's whether or not we really love God or not. And that's why, to make it easier on us, Jesus calls for a full-out devotion, not just emotion but devotion to follow him. Takes it to take up your cross. You can't crucify the flesh unless you love someone more than yourself. And that's why the first prerequisite for following Jesus is deny yourself, take up your cross, and come and follow me. So here we are today. How many believe we're in the last days? I'm going to go a step further. I can't hardly say it without saying this. We are in the last of the last days. The coming of the Lord is so near. The falling away, the great falling away will occur during the tribulation. But the preliminary falling away has already begun. How do you know when the cross doesn't draw Christians to worship God? When we have to, we, man came to our house to do tile work. Christian man. He said, we have 1,500 events at our church scheduled between all the departments and the singers coming in and the, and the you know, the pool party for these and the, and the trip to the mountains for these seniors. I guess that's, we don't play in the pool anymore. Well, I, I was hoping I could put on my wetsuit play in the pool and be sanctified, right? Put on, you know, well, that's just a whole other thing. 1,500 events. Pentecostal church. 1,500 in 365 days. It's a mega church. And to show the lack of devotion, everybody's there for all the events, but to show the lack of devotion to Jesus. The pastor got up on a Sunday morning, according to a guy I worked with who attended the same megachurch, and he said, there's 5,000 people here. He said, maybe, maybe 20% give consistently. He said, what would happen if the other 80% gave consistently what we could do for God, what we could do for missions, what we could do. See, when you look out at that crowd, you assume that everybody's a dedicated Christian. But he said, no, if there was dedication, it would be reflected 
in the way we serve God. Chuck Swindoll, author, conference speaker. He's, you know, white hair now. He's got a, a, a church that is uh, steady and solid. He's a conference speaker in demand all over the world, written all kinds of books, biblical, book, biblically-based books. And he looks out over that congregation of people that come to church, and they do give every Sunday. Big church, prosperous church. And he said, I am convinced more than I've ever been convinced that so many people in my congregation, it's easy to criticize everybody else's, it's something when you acknowledge your need in your own church. He said, many people in my congregation are not ready for the coming of Jesus, and they are not ready to go and leave this world. So here's all these people. I mean, what do you want, man? You've got your building program. You've got your, your prestige. You've got all of these things. You've got your salaries. The, the bills are all met, and the people are in the pew, and you're preaching, and they're listening. He's, you know what he wanted? Thank God for what he wanted. He wanted them saved. He wanted to know they're going to heaven. And why wasn't he convinced? He said because so many people have been baptized in church and have claimed to know Jesus, but there is no change. There's got to be a change. If you're a new creature, something has changed. Something radically has occurred. Dramatic change. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. There's got to be some fruit. This is, not, this is a guy that's a grace preacher, doesn't believe in salvation by works, maybe too far into grace. But even he recognizes many in my congregation are not saved because there is no change. They go out of church and they fall back into their old, their old sinful patterns. And he that committeth sin, what? Without conviction, without any concern for the judgment to come, that can live like the devil all week and stand or sit in church on Sunday, he is of the devil. That's First John. That's in the Bible, believe it or not. So there are people of the devil sitting in church. And they will stand before him and call him Lord because they are so convinced because they've never been convicted or confronted with their need to truly get saved. And he will say to them, many, many, say it with me, many. He will say unto them, depart from me. You that what? Commit a sin without conviction. Work iniquity. He that commit a sin is of the devil. What? While sitting in church and calling Jesus Lord? Yes. And that's why the pastor of eight years, theological graduate, serving communion, sprinkling believers, calling them baptized, came forward at a full gospel businessman's and gave his heart to Christ and became a Christian. You know what the next thing happens? You get kicked out of your fellowship. You get the left foot of fellowship as they kick you out. Why do they kick you out? Because you can't go along with that anymore. You have to either become independent or join some fellowship that is ultra-dependent upon the Holy Spirit and not just a dead religious system. Oh, I'm glad to be a preacher of righteousness in these last days. Praise God. You can see how, how that's going over now because the entertainment is not here. We have two entertainers who was going to sing the high parts, but they just didn't quite hit it today. Amen. No, 
No, if we had a light show, if we had fog, maybe we could get a few young people to come and see the fog and look at the light show. But if they're not convicted in this audience and they never get saved, they're going to go out into this world and they're going to follow the world. They're not going to follow Jesus unless there is a revival, a real, genuine, God-sent, Holy Ghost revival. And I'm holding out for a revival. I will not concede that there can be no revival among young people in America. It's beginning in many places. But it is not, it is not brought forth by some kind of, of dumbed-down gospel and some kind of entertainment that is set forth just to get kids in church. Those kids in Haiti didn't have any entertainment, but they had met Jesus. And when they spoke his name in song, they broke with gratitude. Oh, Jesu. And when I saw and heard the name of Jesus in their tongue, and then I heard something else. I saw 11-year-old kids speaking in other tongues, not in French Creole, but in other tongues. How do you know? Because there's nothing in French Creole that sounds like bam, 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 bam. With stammering lips. Sometimes it begins with stammering lips before a real dialogue is established. You ever got stammering lips? I remember when my wife's grandmother came and my, 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 my grandpa and my dad's pastor was my wife's grandfather. And I remember when my, her grandmother came to me when my first pastorate. And she came up and she was under the anointing. You could tell when she's under the anointing because she'd zero in on you. And she'd come right at you, and her eyes big as saucers. <laughs> and I thought, she's under the anointing. She's going to do something that the Spirit of God is prompting. Because she wasn't that kind of person until the anointing came on her. And I called it holy boldness. And she came up to me, and, and she put her hand on my head. And she, she couldn't talk. She went, and it wasn't tongues. It was just stammering lips. Under that heavy anointing. And she was wanting to say something in English, but she couldn't because the anointing was so heavy on her. And finally, the stammering lips stopped, and she said, Bobby, because, you know, I wasn't Brother Venable then. Amen. She said, Bobby, I believe that Corbin's anointing, his mantle, didn't go to heaven with him. That was her husband, which was my grandpa and my daddy's pastor in Kentucky. I believe that his mantle has fallen upon you. And boy, I felt the power of God run through me, and I said, glory to God, hallelujah. Amen. I was still timid. I still died a thousand deaths when I stood up to speak. But after a while, it began to be evident. Amen. Brother Taylor, you said it well. Brother Venable is able, is ready to preach at the drop of the hat, and he's willing to drop the hat. Can you say amen? I, I have to put on the brakes to stop. I don't have to crank it up. Have you noticed? Amen. I'm, I'm, like, a, I'm like a dragster. Amen. You know how the parachute comes out? They hit the brakes. The parachute comes out. Well, the parachute's got to come out for me to even quit. I don't have to think what I'm going to say next. I know God has something to say, and I know I'm his servant, and I know I have a mantle. Hallelujah. Are you bragging? No, we talked about that, didn't we? I'm telling you like it is. Um, I believe that mantle came. God takes men. He doesn't take mantles. He doesn't pull the anointing, so when the man goes, the anointing goes with him. Someone said the other day to a preacher, who got Billy Graham's mantle? He said, no individual got it. The church got it. It's time for the church to rise up under the anointed of God to win souls for Jesus. Hallelujah. I'm talking about the church believers. Hallelujah. That way it's not central anymore to one man. That's why Jesus said of his mantle, his anointing, the works that I do, you shall do. Even as my Father sent me, so send I you. And the works that I do, you shall do, and greater than these shall ye do, because I go to my Father. 
If I don't go to the Father, Holy Ghost won't come. But if I go to the Father and He comes, then the one that is working in and through me is going to be working in and through you. And it's not going to be greater in quality, but in quantity. For wherever believers are, there is a mighty anointing of the Holy Spirit to those that will recognize and receive it and then release it out of your belly. Pat it if you know where it is. Boy, that sounds like a big old watermelon about ready to. Hey, we got drums. We got drums. We don't need no stinking drummer. <laughs> I heard bongos. <laughs> Hallelujah. People hungry too. It must be lunchtime. Praise God. Out of where? Your innermost being. The central part of you, the belly, the center of a man is his spirit. And out of your spirit, man shall flow. Rivers, I usually say livers of living water. So you're probably used to it, but I'm going to say it right. Rivers of living water springing up unto everlasting life. Hallelujah. There's a river of life flowing out from me. It makes the lame to walk and the blind to see. Opens prison doors and sets the captive free. There's a river of life flowing out from me. Hallelujah. We used to sing it. We used to live it. Father, I praise you. I praise you. So Grandma Hall said, my husband's anointing. His mantle is on you. My uncle pastored in the church of God. Before he went home, we went to a full gospel's businessmen's meeting together. We walked outside. We were standing in front of my car. And he said, Bobby, Bobby, this is my uncle. He's not calling me pastor. He's calling me Bobby. He says, Bobby, I recognize the anointing of God upon you. He said, I believe that my mantle, because he had backslid, he had drifted away from God. He said, I don't know if I'll ever preach again, but if I could just, if I could just teach and tell people how to avoid the pitfalls that the devil used to trip me up. He said, the anointed is more precious than a big church. It's more precious than silver or gold or anything you could acquire in the world. And he said, I believe that mantle that was once on me has fallen upon you. And tears ran down. We were standing in front of my car and, and it dripped on the hood of my car because he knew what it was to operate in that anointing. And he knew what it was like Samson to shake himself and not find it present in his life to grieve the Holy Spirit. By the way, he came back to God on a Wednesday night service with a small group of people just like this. And he went home to be with the Lord, saved and restored. He had borrowed books from me to, to begin to re, uh, reacquaint himself with the scriptures. And, and he was studying once again as a security guard. He took the books with him and did his rounds and then came back with a flashlight, <laughs> amen, and a little lamp and studied the word. And he went home through an automobile accident, semi-truck, a tanker truck on State Road 39. He went to sleep at the wheel. He came over. The guy honked, and he pulled back, but he never looked up. He came right over again and hit the tanker truck. He was killed instantly. And in the back seat of his old car were the books that I had lent him to prepare himself to be part of the counseling staff of our ministry, to use one of those old Sunday school rooms at the Holy Church of God and say if anybody wants to talk about the Lord and staying close to him and, and know the pitfalls that, that the devil will use against them. He said, I've been there, and I'm so glad to be back. But I don't know if I'll ever preach again, but I know one thing, and this is about six weeks before he went home. Amen. He said, I believe God has taken my mantle. He's put it on you. So I'm claiming the mantle of anointing. Amen. It's not appreciated like it used to be. Used to, you preach under the anointed, they'd fill it wall to wall. But there's so much now, so much used to draw people short 
of the power and presence of God. And the word is brought very eloquently and very accurately. But without the anointing, that's all it is. Eloquent, accurate, but it doesn't pierce the heart. Some of the greatest altar calls I've ever seen is when I thought I didn't do justice to the message. I could have put it better. I could have preached it better. You know that feeling when you feel like I could have done better. And then I'd look up and all these people are weeping in the altar and I'd say, what? (laughs) Amen. What got a hold of them? I didn't get to tell it like I wanted to tell it. I didn't make it as clear as I'd love to make it, but you see, it wasn't just me. It was Him. Hallelujah. Well, not that I'm watching the time, but it is time. How many got something out of this service so far? Without the first love, without that deep devotion, then no one is following Jesus as a true disciple. And he didn't say go make church members, go build buildings and do this and that. He said go and make disciples out of all nations. And a disciple has to be devoted in order to follow Jesus. No man can be my disciple. No man can even come to me without the Father drawing. So the most important scriptures, Romans 12, 1 and 2, once you come to Jesus. And I hope Charles uh, sits right here and hears that scripture. I listened to Jim Gates preach at his memorial service. And uh, they had a snippet of about 15 minutes of Jim ministering to young people. Even after you aggravated him like you did. <laughs> no, he loved y'all. And, and y'all, y- you knew Jim was a devoted guy. Crazy Jim sometimes, but he was crazy about the Lord. And I told those people in that meeting, he used the scripture that he was ministering. And, and I just laid down any funeral notes and anything. And, and I, I just said, you know, this was the core. This is what drove Jim to keep reaching out for souls his entire life. He never let up. He never got over being saved. He never got over it. He kept loving the Lord and wanting to serve God with every fiber of his being his entire life till he went home. Well, what brought that kind of devotion? I said the scripture that he was using to preach from was his core value, and that's what not only kept him devoted, but kept on feeding that devotion to Christ, that first love, kindled and rekindled, kindled and then rekindled. And it's Romans 12, 1 and 2. I beseech you, brethren, before commanding anything, demanding anything, God wants to stimulate love for himself because of his great love is given freely to you. He didn't just say, offer your body a living sacrifice. That takes deep devotion, doesn't it? He said, I beseech you by the mercies of God. I beseech you, stimulated by the mercies of God. And where was the mercy of God displayed? Openly, so powerfully, when Jesus hung on the cross for us. I beseech you by the mercies of God that you love him back for loving you by presenting your body a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto the Lord, which is your reasonable service. And be no more conformed to the world. Don't let the world press you into its mold, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that you might prove what is that good and perfect and acceptable will of God, that we may exemplify the value of knowing Jesus as Savior, the value of his death on the cross by serving him with all that we are and all that we have. Hallelujah. It's just loving him back for loving us. And that's what we want to celebrate in Holy Communion this morning. 
How many believe that we corporately as Christians need a revival? Regardless of how big the church has grown, how many young people attend, how many people give, how many believe we need a Holy Ghost revival? How many believe that we sitting here need that kind of move of the Holy Spirit in our life today? There has been conviction here. I get convicted when I preach like this. But I know what to do when I'm convicted. And that is to address some things that keep me from that devotion and refocus on Jesus' love for me when he hung on the cross in my behalf. And just, we used to sing it. I'm going to try to sing it without music, so adjust your hearing aids accordingly. I keep falling in love with him over and over and over and over again. Just keep falling in love with him over and over and over and over again. It gets sweeter and sweeter as the days go by. Between my Lord and I, falling in love with him over and over and over and over again. I remember when I performed a wedding for a member of this congregation. And I remember looking at the bride and looking at the groom. And telling them during that wedding ceremony that the, the love that would hold their marriage together when the pressures come upon it is the kind of love that is constantly being renewed for one another. I had them look at each other and tell them true love that holds this marriage together is falling in love with one person over and over and over and over again. Amen? Because if it waxes cold, then the wedge will come in. We will not endure the pressures that can be brought to bear on a relationship. But if we keep it fresh and we keep it rekindled, Hallelujah. I remember when your mom and dad repeated their vows to one another. I still have those vows. I told Pamela, maybe we need to have Brother Taylor, you know, when we hit our, what are we, 55, 56 is coming up. When we hit our 60th, maybe we need to repeat our vows. She said, what for? I love you with all my heart. I said, that'll do it. Hallelujah. Amen. If you love me with all your heart after 55 years, maybe we don't need to repeat our vows. Maybe we're doing it without formally saying it. Doug. Oh, Doug. Doug. Oh, yeah. You, you see what he says to this woman on Facebook? He's rekindling. Amen. I remember a song he put on Facebook to his sweetheart back there. Yeah. Is you is or is you ain't my baby. <laughs> Amen. I thought, boy, <laughs> talk about romance. But he don't just put the funny stuff on there. He puts some other stuff on there, doesn't he? <laughs> Hallelujah. And we're laughing, but we're not laughing. You know why? Because he's sowing into that, falling in love with one person over and over and over again. And when I see that occurring, I say, that's what God wants from me to him, to keep falling in love with Jesus over and over and over so that the first love is rekindled and it never waxes cold. Because sinfulness will abound, iniquity, the love of many will wax cold. So the church will have to subsidize. We're in competition with the Super Bowl. We're in competition with Katy Perry. We're in com competition with the Nashville Singers. We're in competition with everything that's on HBO and Showtime. We're in, yeah, the church is trying to compete with the world to draw people from the world to focus on what we need to be focused on. And you know what? When a Holy Ghost revival falls, 
we will not be in competition. There will be no competition. There will be nothing. There will be no one, amen, that can break our focus on Jesus, our Savior. Can you say amen? And we can run with perseverance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, who is the author and the finisher of our faith. And we can run and not be weary and walk and not faint. Hallelujah. Praise God. Well, I've excited myself today. (laughs) Hallelujah. Amen. I can't wait to go home and preach to Pamela. She ain't got nowhere to go unless I take her. She can't drive for six weeks. Six weeks she can't drive. The woman cannot get in her car and get away from me. She can't say I'm going to Wally World. That's Walmart for you city folks. Anyway, amen. Or used to be Black Blister, which was Blockbuster, but we never use the right names. We like to smile at our house. Hallelujah. So as we are served Holy Communion today, and Doug, that, that one song, Oh, the Blood, I think it was up on the menu, Oh, the Blood of Jesus. How many will receive communion with an understanding that God wants us to fall in love with him again today? Stimulated by what he has done for us on the cross. Once again, we present our body a living sacrifice. And we sing in our heart, all to Jesus, I surrender. All to him, I freely give. Hallelujah.